plan of more than $12 billion for fiscal year 2022 was introduced at the State House on Monday. The plan calls for some pay raises, some money for education, and the biggie, it calls for a controversial flat tax. Governor Doug Ducey's proposed state flat tax of 2.5% phased in over several years is expected to cut state revenue by an estimated $1.5 billion each year. Taxpayers would start seeing lower tax rates as soon as next year. It's being sold as a tax cut for every Arizonan, but not everyone in the legislature sees it that way. Some Republicans were uneasy about sections of the tax cut and the budget, like Republican Senator Paul Boyer. He's a lawmaker from Glendale. He worries that cuts into the public safety budget could effectively amount to defunding the police. Critics paint the plan as a way to shield the wealthy from paying for education and other public services. Because there's a one-vote margin for each chamber in the legislature, just a single Republican could bench these proposals. Today on The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, we're talking to reporter Mary Jo Pitzel. Mary Jo sat in on a background briefing with the governor's office last week. She talks with us about who would be Arizona's biggest winners and losers if this deal passes. The big thing to know from the governor's office perspective is that they seem to think this budget reflects efforts to try to make Arizona more competitive nationally. More jobs, more people, more economic growth. That's the recipe for success, and this will keep us competitive. Joining us today is Mary Jo Pitzel, who's tracking the budget. Mary Jo, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. So give us the broad outlines of this budget. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? And what sort of tax cuts are we talking about? (laughs) Well, um, let's start. The budget's going to be about, in its proposed form, is about $12.5 billion uh, for the next year. Um, The big winners are... There's money in there to increase the unemployment uh, rate, which is a really big deal um, in Arizona. Uh, would take it from 240 a week, which is like the 49th lowest rate in the nation, to $340 a week. Um, I actually, I don't know where that, how far up the state ranking that moves us, but it's a significant jump. Um, however, there are conditions, and that higher rate would only kick in if the unemployment rate is at or below 5%, you know, and if um, there's a certain amount of money in the unemployment trust fund. And that isn't going over too well with Representative David Cook, who is the chief champion of a higher um, unemployment tax or unemployment wage. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Um, but it would, you know, at least conceptually, unemployment um, payments would go up. Um, other winners are schools get some um, big moves on school funding for um, construction. They will now price out those projects at the market rate, um, which is good because they've been using a lower estimate, which means the money they allocate for for a project falls far below what's needed. And so you don't get very far. But this will then stretch that pool of dollars. It'll, It'll actually shrink that pool of dollars in terms of who can benefit from it. There's 50 million for uh, special ed, uh, which is something that's been long coming. 
there's a new veterans home in northern Arizona that would be planned. Um, they're also very uh, proud of money that's going to be going uh, uh, to corrections, taking care of a lot of the uh, physical, tangible needs that have been uh, identified there, like uh, more uh, vests for the corrections officers, um, some work on the locks. And most importantly, there are pay raises for pockets of state government employees, um, not, not across the board, but for corrections officials, probation officials, child welfare workers, Department of Economic Security, um, there are pay raises. Uh, and also for Department of Public Safety. A lot of those folks hadn't seen a pay raise for many, many, many years, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very true. So Mary Jo, if those are the winners, give us a sense of who might be losing in this proposed budget uh, and and what that will mean. One, one of the potential losers um, are schools. There are, um, there is some money generally for schools, but when you look at this in the context, the larger context of state revenues and the proposed tax cut, there's concern that that will just be lower revenue overall uh, for all state agencies and education is about 50% of the budget. Um, there are also concerns that the way the state addresses uh, school construction matters, even though they've raised that market rate that it does not address the inequities that we see, you know, geographically um, across the state. What about the middle class with the, uh, this proposed tax cut or flat well, tax, I suppose? Right. Um, so the uh, it, this includes a flat tax of 2.5%. Um, we're learning more about it every day. It's uh, really details are rather vague other than to say it's, it's 2.5%. Um, that would take it down from the the top tax rate of 4.5%, it would be even lower than the current lowest tax uh, rate, which is like 2.6%. So there's a, it, it's, the tagline is that this is a tax cut for every Arizona. But this is not a classic flat tax where you get rid of all of the carve outs, the credits, the deductions, and just say we're, we're doing a, a single tax rate on everything. Um, that hasn't been addressed yet, but they are keeping in the, the standard deductions. Um, we know we have a big array of tax credits. In fact, more are created, it seems, every year at the legislature. Um, and more importantly, I have not been able to find any documents, any analysis yet that analyzes you know, what, the true cost of this. The uh, Joint Legislative Budget Committee has not put together an analysis. Um, as of earlier this week, when I inquired, I've asked the Department of Revenue for a workup on this. Um, they're gonna see what they've got. Um, the governor's office has said that they would provide documents. We haven't seen that yet. So the biggest analysis of it is one that was done by the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. It was requested by the Children's Action Alliance. They didn't pay for it, but they asked them if they'd take a look at it. And uh, this, entity um, called ITEP concluded that 91% of the tax reductions would benefit the top 20% taxpayers. I mean, which makes sense in a lot of ways because you're taking 4.5% down to um, down to two and a half percent, but we're really lacking a lot of details on this. Um, I'd also add that another big winner in this, frankly, are uh, the higher 
earners, uh, the higher income earners in Arizona, because part of the flat tax plan also seeks to protect um, prop protects them. And this is how it happens. As you remember, Proposition 208, approved by the voters last fall, um, imposed a 3.5% surcharge on any income earned over $250,000 or 500000 if you're filing jointly. Um, and that has met a lot of opposition. It's the subject of an ongoing um, lawsuit that's before the state Supreme Court. Um, so what this plan does, it says, okay, we will allow, we'll just go ahead, Prop 208 can collect its 3.5% surcharge. But for those people who have to pay that, we're going to hold their aggregate tax liability to 4.5%, which basically means they're going to pay 1% to the general fund and 3.5% to Proposition 208. That holds these higher income earners harmless in terms of the effect of Proposition 208 by keeping them at effectively what is the current highest tax rate. So if we're not clear completely on the particulars of how this proposed tax cut would work, and um, it's uh, the ins and outs of all that. Do we have a sense of what this will mean for uh, certain funding obligations such as public education? Um, what we know in the big picture is that the 2.5% flat tax is resulting in a $1.5 billion permanent reduction in state revenues. So that will be ongoing. That can have a lot of consequences when you look at some of the things that are going to be going away in the coming years. So not only the $1.5 billion, but in 2025, uh, Proposition 123 expires. That's a reconfiguration of the state land trust. And that money uh, was intended to provide, and it has provided more money for education. Um, that was championed by Governor Ducey, um, but it will uh, expire in 2025 when Ducey is no longer governor. Um, the flat tax uh, is made possible, according to Representative Ben Toma, who's it, who is the biggest champion of this in the state legislature, because Arizona is at a position where it hasn't been um, in recent years. There's been a lot of federal money that's come in as a response to the pandemic. Um, there has been, Arizona's now bounced back from some of the downturn caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and revenues are up. And the state has been budgeting somewhat conservatively um, along the way, uh, projecting lower growth rates than um, have actually happened. So this has allowed uh, surplus to build up. There is a question of, you know, how much of that uh, how much of that would go away if you don't count the federal relief because that is one-time money. The governor's office says that it, none of this plan is, is built on permanent changes premised on one-time money. That's how the state has gotten into trouble in past budget cycles, uh, but they insist that that is not what we're seeing here. Um, there is also an ongoing class action lawsuit involving school facilities, school construction, um, that is um, in litigation right now. Um, and we don't know how that's going to come out, but there could be a cost to that. And with a loss of $1.5 billion a year, that could uh, really hamper what the state can do. Uh, 
Another um, loser in this tax proposal um, are the cities and towns. They um, share state revenue. They get uh, under a voter approved deal from almost 50 years ago. The agreement was that the cities would get 15% of state income tax collections as long as cities and towns didn't levy their own income tax. So it's, it was a pretty simple, simplified system. They're saying that a $1.5 billion permanent cut will lead to basically a 30% reduction in the revenues that the state can share with cities and towns. And you know they are the big providers of money for police and public safety um, and local roads. Um, so they are saying this is this could really, really hurt us. And the governor's people are um, putting too rosy of a picture on the revenue growth that cities might benefit from otherwise, like you know, increased sales tax revenue because of uh, legal marijuana. Well, Proposition 207, which brought us legal marijuana, says you can't use their proceeds, the taxes from that, to supplant existing programs. It's got to be an add-on. Um, they, they say that the governor's anticipation of more tax revenue, sales tax revenue for cities um, is not going to be as great as, as Ducey and his uh, staff believe because most of the online retailers have already been paying sales tax in Arizona for a number of years. So they're out lobbying hard uh, to uh, point out some of the, the downsides of going to the flat tax. Democrats are also taking issue with just the fundamental sort of premise of this budget, right? That you're tax, uh, cutting taxes for the wealthiest and not taking this money to really invest in the state's sort of infrastructure and basic needs that have gone unmet since the, the previous recession. Correct. I mean, it's sort of the classic argument that you hear almost every time, but when you're looking at a tax cut of the magnitude of 1.5 billion, it's it's just magnified. That's so that's so much more money, um, and they're saying, yeah, this is the time. You know, we've come through COVID. Um, our economy is rebounding. We need to put some of this back in. And even though, um, and the numbers will bear it out that recently the legislature's put a lot of money into education. We're still playing catch up from all of the cuts that were made during the Great Recession. In fact, the Census Bureau just put out rankings of school funding um, earlier this week, and Arizona is 49th. We're right behind Mississippi. Mississippi's ahead of us. So it's going to take a lot more revenue to bring up those um, those rankings and the, the amount of money spent per student. And Democrats say, look, this is a great opportunity to do that, and we're, we're giving it away in a tax cut. So... We all remember the governor's uh, pledge back during his first run for office, uh, for chief executive office, when he pledged and then walked back and then sort of pledged again that he would try to get Arizona's income tax as close to zero as possible. Is this that proposal? Is this him trying to make good on that pledge? Well, it certainly appears to. I mean, it's a if you again, if you look at it in the terms of the top tax rate of 4.5%, this is whacking off a whole, you know, two percent, which is a big step. Um, who knows what might come next year? The last year of Ducey's term, it seems like it would be a long way to get from two and a half percent to zero. So I, it seems that this is the opportunity um, to strike when you've got a lot of revenues that are here um, uh, that are coming into the state. 
and he's sort of going for broke, right? With this, with this proposal, um, he's a lame duck governor. He's got one more year after the session. I mean, this is traditionally the time when governors, if they control both chambers, try to just get it done um, so that they can sort of leave some sort of legacy. If this passes, what will his legacy be uh, with this budget? I, I suspect that um, his legacy, at least as he will see it, is that he you know, managed state finances and turned around a sinking ship. He likes to remind people quite often that when he came into office, he inherited a $1 billion state deficit. Um, they reversed that. They turned it around. And today, um, what, in year seven of his administration, they are looking at a potential $2 billion surplus. Um, so that's quite the turnaround. And they've done that while having an economy that has continued to grow, an unemployment rate that tends to be lo lower than the national rate, um, while also cutting taxes. So that's that's the legacy I see. Mary Jo, uh, lastly, do we have a sense as to how uh, the legislature views uh, this whole proposal? Is Are they... Uh, already there with the votes they need to pass this in both chambers? Uh, does it look like they're they're short? Um, well, when the plan was first announced, um, optimists were saying, hey, we could bring this to the floor. We could have a final vote, you know, by Friday, May 21. Um, that hasn't happened. Uh, they need um, every Republican that's in the legislature to vote for this because they have no votes to spare given the, the makeup of the House and the Senate. Um, Senator Paul Boyer in the Senate has already voiced his concerns, especially with the um, with how this would affect cities and towns. He's also concerned that it doesn't address like the education rollover, uh, which is close to a billion dollars, 900 and some million dollars that has not been addressed. There's other debt issues. Um, there are Representative Cook, David Cook in the House has problems with the unemployment uh, plan as it is structured. And we're hearing that there are um, other Republicans who just aren't that keen about um, the, the flat tax. And most of those names that I've been told represent rural areas. Rural local governments um, are the ones that are really, really concerned about the impact of losing state share revenues. Well, Mary Jo, thank you for uh, sharing this information with us. Where can listeners follow you on Twitter? You can find me at Mary J. Pitzel, and that's P-I-T-Z-L. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. Ron, give us your sense of what this budget really reflects, particularly on the tax flat tax front. Is it really as innovative as it's being sold to Arizona residents? Well, this would certainly be a change for Arizona residents. It would be innovative in that respect. Look, there are a number of states that have already really kind of changed their state income taxes to be either flat or no state income tax already. And when you look at Western states, for example, like Colorado, they went to a flat income tax rate uh, years ago. There's also competition from states like Texas, for example, that don't even have state income tax. So there's a sense of trying to get ahead of this on uh, tax policy to try and keep the state competitive, as the governor's office likes to say. But as far as you know, any kind of innovation, 
you know, you don't seem to get a big bang out of this when you're the seventh state to do this or the 12th state to do something else. So in terms of its effect, I think that's something that tax experts would say is, you know, more open to to doubt. Look, tax policy matters. It always does. But in terms of, you know, really sort of reshaping the way people view Arizona on a tax basis, this isn't something that would dramatically alter the way people view us. We have a relatively low state income tax rate as it is. There are other states that don't even have state income taxes. So uh, you can't go any lower than zero. And uh, the flat tax is lower than Colorado, but are you really competing with Coloradans for, you know, residents and even on the business front? There are just some things where we have an advantage and others where they will. So the critics are definitely going to look at tax policy and uh, question the need for it in a state that is growing, that is relatively uh, well functioning on the business development front. And, um, really kind of has a reputation as a low tax state to begin with. I guess the the question I would put to you, Yvonne, is, you know, in light of recent announcements on things like the multi-billion dollar investment from Intel, uh, the current tax framework seems to work pretty okay for employers like that. Is Governor Ducey trying to keep a campaign promise from back in the day in 2014? Is that what this really is about? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, clearly, this is a proposal that would reflect the type of business Republican that he is, right? And he's in the room with a lot of these, you know, executives, perhaps they're remarking a bit about how things could be maybe more improved for them and potential employers if they open up, you know, if they expand here to the state. But clearly this was something that he needed to get off of his whiteboard. This is something that he can take to donors, potential donors nationally and tout as, um, you know, a big win for Republicans, a big win for conservatives, a big win for uh, the donor class that really, really cares about uh, these sorts of um, of accomplishments. It gives him a, a talking point when he hits the stage, for example, at the Republican National Convention in 2024. One thing, though, that could complicate some of this, and, and we all know it, like the sausage making here, it can last a long time. It can last a little time. It will last overnight. There will be late night bleary eyed sessions. Whatever it ends up looking like um, will probably look a lot like the basic fundamental shape, right? Some details will change, but it is a little complicated. You have to win over people like the pub warriors. And Governor Jan Brewer, the former Republican governor of Arizona, Um, who is known to speak her mind, but she really sort of broke tradition by sort of staying out of budget fights um, and and weighing in on the current governor's uh, proposals. She's come out against this budget. Is that, does that move anybody in any meaningful way? I know it got a lot of headlines, but do people really care? You know, I'm not sure what the Jan Brewer constituency is in 2021, but I think that clearly she does speak for Republicans who sort of look at the world the way that she does. And she is someone who came from local government as well as state government. 
And there, there is significant concern among those who look at rural Arizona or the municipalities and, and county governments that are going to have to figure out how to uh, make their budgets work in an environment where the state, which provides a good chunk of their funding, may just have less funding to distribute. So there's significant angst around various constituencies in the state on this. That's not a deal breaker necessarily, but it is the kind of detail that they're going to have to figure out how they do keep the cities and towns whole, how the counties will be uh, financially intact with a plan that um, would seem at the top line to just leave the state with less revenue coming in from traditional sources. So this is something that uh, they're going to have to finesse this. The governor is uh, pretty committed to this, I think, as, as you've outlined. This is something he's wanted for a while, and um, it's something that they have space to try to do this now, and, and they can't put it off much longer. His, his governorship will be ending in two years. Well, that is it for today, Gaggle listeners. We want to thank Mary Jo Pitzel for joining us, and you can follow her work on azcentral.com. As a courtesy note, audio in today's episode came from AZ Family. And while we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Also be sure to check out Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and AZ Central podcast that answers all of your questions about the Valley. From silly to serious, you get to ask the questions and we get to find the answers. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week.